highest of heights to the depths of the sea. And so notice verse 26, but David said, but if, if, he, if, if God says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. And again, this is a man who's resigned to the will of God, and this is what a man who has been broken looks like. You look at David's life in this, this is what brokenness looks like, a good brokenness. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of 2 Samuel. He begins by reviewing chapter 15 up to verse 25. As we move forward, we find David exiting the city of Jerusalem to avoid confrontation with his son Absalom, who is attempting to take over the throne from David. As we go on from verse 26 in chapter 15, we learn of David's faith and loyalty to his God by trusting in him for direction and protection. David writes in Psalm 3 verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. All right. Good evening. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel 15. We've been in this chapter, it seems, for a little longer than I had anticipated. But uh, going through this chapter, for some reason, just brought up a lot of things. And there's a lot of things here that we can learn And that's really the meaning of the scripture, right? Uh, The Bible says that the word of God is there for our nurture, for our admonition, for our learning, for, uh, you know, it's there for our study. It's supposed to change our lives. As we read through these things, and we have to remember, this is not, these aren't stories. You know, when people read of David and Goliath and and, uh, the thing with, Bathsheba and David and Uriah, these things are real events in history, and they were written here for a reason, obviously. The Bible throughout is a Bible, uh, is, a, is, a, is a, the message overall is redemption. And, and we see that even in the life of David, as we see the many mistakes and sin issues that David had had, and yet God uh, forgave David. David right now is in heaven in spite of all the mistakes that he made, even some things that you and I have never done ourselves. You know, and I mean, most of us in this room have never murdered anybody physically. Most of us have not maybe committed adultery physically. We may have done it in our minds, of course, but many, you know, so there's a lot of things that, uh, that happen in David's life that haven't even happened to us. And yet the Bible says, because of his hard attitude of repentance, there's a, David's in glory right now. And Ezekiel tells us in chapter 34 that when Jesus comes back to the earth for his millennial reign, that David is going to be resurrected and he is going to serve as co-regent of some kind with Christ 
in, um, in Jerusalem, on this earth, that you and I are going to be in our new bodies during that time. And I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a great and joyous time. It's not going to be the utopia that we, that we think about. Um, certainly Christ being on Jerusalem uh, physically, it's going to be completely different. But we know that he's going to rule with a rod of iron. That's what the Bible says. And does that sound like a, a complete utopia, void of any sin issue? It's really not. Is it going to be better than anything we've ever known? Yes. But there's still going to be skirmishes. There's still going to be issues. But you and I will be in our new bodies and we will be ruling and reigning with him for a thousand years. But the real great, the great thing is after the thousand-year reign, because we know that that is going to, God's going to cause this current earth and heavens to be um, consumed in flame and fire, and he's going to do, create a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness, a new Jerusalem, where there will be no, Nothing evil. Evil will be vanquished and, and set in the lake of fire forever and ever. And you and I will be in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens, in the new earth. And that is our eternal state. And I'm looking forward to that more than anything. But to just to know that in spite of his many sins and mistakes, that David is there. And God's still going to use him. Can God use you when you make a big mistake in your life? You know, the thing about mistakes is it's not so bad to make a mistake We'd rather we didn't make a mistake, but when we do, it's what we do with that mistake. What, what, what do we do with that issue that, that we have done? Do we continue to perpetuate it and continue in it, or do we repent of it, truly turning away from it? And that's what David did. And that's why God can say in the Scripture that David was a man after God's own heart, because he, he didn't get stuck in his sin. He made the huge error, he turned, and he went toward Christ, and he never looked back. That's the difference, and that's what we need to learn as well. Don't let the devil get you into a place. And I think there's some, as we look through and have looked through the life of David, and as we're looking at it right now, there is a, uh, a part of David that I think that he was resigned to God, and he knew he was forgiven. And I think we'll see that tonight when we get into the end of chapter 15 and, and then chapter 16. We see David just kind of like, Lord, whatever you want. You know, I've made these errors. You know my sin is ever before you. I know you've forgiven me. I know I'm restored in fellowship with you. But David also knew there were consequences for his sin. And we also have consequences. Even though God has forgiven us, we have consequences. And so um, it's important to remember that. It's important to remember that for us too. So hang on to the Lord and never give up. You keep drawing close to him. Keep repenting. Or, or, you know, if you, if you repent and thought you repented and you slip in the same thing again, a righteous man will get up seven times and he will continue going on. Don't ever let the devil beat you into the ground saying you've done it too many times. He, God's not going to forgive you. He will always forgive you if you confess it. That's what he says, right? In 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9, that's what he said. And so we have to take him at his word. Never um, taking it for granted, although we tend to do that taking sin for granted. We can't do that. We shouldn't do that. Because when we do that, we really don't understand. We don't comprehend grace the way we ought to. Because real grace, when we comprehend grace, and I believe David did, we're not going to be flirting with sin anymore. We're going to be done with it. We're going to want to be done with it. And that is the difference between him and Saul. Saul was a man of the flesh, and he never uh, gave his heart over to Christ completely, where David did. And so... 
we looked at um, chapter 15, and let me just summarize just a, for a few seconds here. Um, Absalom comes back into Jerusalem, and he had been banished, or he actually left uh, to go to uh, the land of Jeshur, which, remember, Absalom's father's his name was Talmai. He was the king of Jeshur, and Jeshur is that area in the northern part of north of the Sea of Galilee to the east. And the reason he fled there is because he killed David's firstborn son, Amnon. And why did he kill Amnon, his half-brother? Because Amnon raped Absalom's full-blood sister. Her name was Tamar, remember? they were uh, Absalom and Tamar were from the same mother, and of course David was the father. And so Absalom uh, killed Amnon, David's firstborn son, and he fled to Talmai, or up, up in Jeshur, and he was up there for about three years, and then he comes back into Jerusalem for two years. He doesn't see David. David knows about what he's done, but David does precisely nothing, which is one of the flaws of, of David, that he, he really was kind of a checked-out parent at this time, and he really didn't, um, uh, he really didn't take his sons and, and, and cause them to own their sin and certainly did nothing about it, it appears, anyway. And so... Uh, this created quite a, a problem in David's family, and it fulfilled the scripture with which God said to Nathan the prophet, you know, the sword shall never depart. And we know that Absalom killed Amnon, and we're going to find out that Joab later on is going to kill uh, Absalom. And we're going to see that uh, David's own wives, his concubines, are going to be uh, taken into Absalom's harem, which fulfills the second part of that prophecy that God had made to David, which we'll look at. So Absalom finally comes into town. After, after two years, he approaches his father, and, um, and it doesn't really say much about what had happened. It said that at the end of chapter 14 that the king kissed Absalom. And so Absalom uh, went about and really fulfilled something that God had never called him to do, and that is to be a deputy, if you will, for his father. And as people would come into Jerusalem, people would, you know, Absalom would sit out there outside the gates of the city, and he would listen to their cases, you know, their lawsuits and things like that. And he would warm up to the people. And eventually, over time, in a short period of time, uh, Absalom won the hearts of all the men of Israel. And Absalom, if you remember, is one of these guys who looks like a natural-born leader. He was a tall man. He had long blonde hair, or long hair, and, um, and uh, he was a very good-looking man. And unfortunately, people tend to look up to somebody who's tall and handsome. If, you, if you're a leader in this country, you better be tall and handsome, you know, and you'll get more, uh, more support. And unfortunately, looks really mean nothing when it comes to real leadership. We know that. And so, Absalom goes to Hebron, which is where he was born, under, false, under a false pretense, and he begins to amass an army of men. And then finally, he comes to bring that army back into uh, Jerusalem, and he brings and comes against his father. And so David, in verse 13 of chapter 15, he comes and uh, takes all the people, all his family, and they, they just depart from Jerusalem. And they head, uh, if you were to look at Jerusalem, 
uh, they would head down through the Kidron Valley going east, and then they would climb the Mount of Olives, and then uh, David stopped there, and ultimately he would be going somewhere over into the area of Transjordan or maybe even along the side of the Jordan River uh, where David knew that area very well. He was going to take his, his family and just kind of get out of town because he knew Absalom was coming. And, and so David does that. And so we pick up in verse 24 because David is leaving. And it, for some reason, this passage of Scripture really is so picturesque in my mind. I don't know why, but it's just so interesting to see the humility of David. You know, one of the greatest kings that Israel had ever had. And then to, in spite of David's shortcomings, he, you know, he knows his son is coming, and instead of meeting his son head on and, and, and having this battle, I think it's really interesting that David, like a good shepherd, you know, if you think of it, he didn't want the battle in Jerusalem. Could he have come against uh, his son and, and, and his army against you know, Absalom's army? He probably could have. But David chose rather just to flee. And there is a man who's resigned to the Lord's will. And it's a really good sign when you're like not trying to hold on to your seat of power. And, you're, and David's heart was, Lord, if this is your will for me, then, I'm, then, then you know, do with me whatever you want. You know? I never deserved this. Great privilege to begin with. If it's up to you for me to come back to Jerusalem, that's your business, not mine. I'm not going to sit here and try to claim some kind of thing. I'm going to let you do what you want, Lord. And David was just totally resigned. And I, and I find in here a man who is really broken. And brokenness is a really wonderful trait. It's a really wonderful thing. I think it's a place where God wants us to be. And sometimes it takes a long time for us to be broken. But I would encourage you to get to that place of brokenness. Allow God to break you. Allow Him to break you of your self-will. We all have a will and we have a desire for certain things, but to be surrendered to whatever God wants and to whatever He wills is a whole different matter. For most of us, that's a battle that takes a lifetime. And can I tell you there are Christians who are on their deathbed tonight that still have not given their will completely over to God. Are they going to heaven? Yes. But have they missed out on a great portion of their life of, of surrender and real service to the, to the King of Kings? Yes. So get to that place. Don't be afraid when God wants to break you. And if your life is filled with heartache and pain and you're, you're, you're recognizing the, the, the sin in yourself, the frailty and you're aware of all these things within you, you're in good company. Because when you read David's Psalms, and when you see David going through what he's going through tonight, you're like, you know, I'm in good company. I'm in good company. And I don't need to fear it. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that things are always rosy, and all the birds are shining, you know, the, the sun is shining all the time, and the birds are chirping, and everything is just going well for you. Sometimes it's just the opposite. Sometimes it's, it's very difficult. But we need to worship Jesus nonetheless. But brokenness is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. So notice, as he's fleeing Jerusalem, notice verse 24, And there was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. 
Because remember, they're going from Jerusalem and um, going down the Kidron Valley and then going up the western slope of the Mount of Olives. And then they were going to continue going into the... Um, actually, it's on this side, Rich. And uh, they're going over toward the east, out of trouble, out of the sight of Absalom. So they set down the ark, and Abiathar went up until all people had crossed over from the city. And then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. You know, one of the things that I've learned and I'm still learning is, again, like we said, uh, like I said earlier, is to surrender to the Lord as soon as possible especially when it's in areas of my life uh, where it's my will, and my will is getting in the way of God's will. You know, just surrender, just surrender. Learn to surrender and be broken. And this is where I believe David's heart was at. He wasn't holding on to anything. He was willing to just surrender to the Lord's will. And he knew that having the ark with him did not guarantee any outcome. Do you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 4 when the, the children of Israel, under the leadership of Saul... They went out into the battle against the Philistines and they took the Ark of the Covenant foolishly into battle with them, thinking that just because uh, you know, the, the tablets of stone were in there and, and, the, and the omer of, of, of uh, manna and Aaron's rod, you know, they, they, they associated that to be like the, the presence of God, which to them it was. But it wasn't a rabbit's foot. It wasn't some talisman for, talisman for good. And yet they treated it like that. And David knew better. He's like, you know what? Take that ark back to the city where it belongs because my relationship is not with a box. My relationship is the God of the box, (laughs) the God of everything that's inside that box. I don't need the ark. Keep it safe. But my relationship is in God. And that's a really good thing for us to remember. Remember, he created all things. He created the ark. He gave the blueprint for it. He created the gold that it was made of. He created the stone that, the, that the, the law was engraved on, that he engraved with his own finger. He has all things. And so David didn't treat it like some luck charm, and he knew that a relationship of God was more important than anything else. He didn't take any, in any confidence in any object rather than the confidence in the one who made that object. And this is rightly placed devotion and worship. When our focus is on Jesus and not on anything else, that is rightly, rightly placed devotion. And people place their devotion in so many things. They can place their devotion in a, in a famous pastor, you know, whoever it may be, and they look up to him and they're just, you know, and, and, and they ought not to do that. They've got to be really careful of that. Focus on Christ. He is the one that saved your soul. Nobody else on earth. And it's okay to look up to someone and say, I want to follow you as you follow Christ, but when you mess up, I'm still going to follow Christ. right? So we have to keep a light touch on God's servants, but keep a great touch. Hold on to his leg like a child does to its father. I remember when, I was, uh, when Ariana was much younger, we used to have these leg rides, and I would, she would grab my leg, and, and, and I would just drag her around the house, and I'd even go upstairs, and I'd drag her and go up the stairs, you know, and she'd just be having all of her legs and arms wrapped around my leg, and that's the way we need to be with the Lord. Stick to him, cleave to him, and hold on to him, because you need to. You and I need to cleave to Christ, but we have to let go of everything else. 
Let go of the world. There's enough of the world in the church. We don't need any more world. We need more Jesus. We need to be hanging on to him and having a light touch on everything else. And happy is the man who, or woman who gets to that place quicker than anybody else. You're going to be much more blessed. And so notice verse 26, but David said, but if, if, he, if, if God says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. And again, this is a man who's resigned to the will of God, and this is what a man who has been broken looks like. You look at David's life in this, this is what brokenness looks like, a good brokenness. The world would say David's full of, he, he doesn't have any self-esteem. Poor guy, he needs to go to a class to learn how to build his self-esteem. He's so down on himself and looking down. No, you know what? The problem with America and with most of us is that we have too much self-esteem. We think too much about ourselves. That's our problem. It is. It's a problem. But it's when we think little of ourselves. Then we can be useful in the hand of God. We can't disappoint ourselves when you don't really think there's a lot there. Save what the Spirit of God is doing in you. And that's what we need to be thinking of. Don't worry about your self-esteem. We need to be Christ-esteemed. I need to be thinking about him and less of myself. Amen? And even though David knew that he was forgiven, he also was willing to submit himself to the Lord's chastening, which is really what this is, because Nathan had told him that. He was willing to undergo the chastening of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12, just write the reference down, and I'll just read it to you for the sake of time. Hebrews 12, verse 3, it says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Obviously here, the author of Hebrews is speaking of Jesus. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And here he quotes uh, Job uh, chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Um, the author does. He says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Boy, that is a different message than what the world would like to give. You know, this is not some good old boy club. You know, Christianity is, we don't wink at sin, even in people that we know and love. We don't wink at it and say, oh, you're in the church, man, that's okay. No, we, we rebuke them. We love them enough to tell them the truth. You don't have to be mean about it, but isn't, isn't it wonderful when you can go to somebody and you have the relationship with one another? That we, can, we, we, really, we, we need to be that. We need to be iron sharpening iron. We need to be that toward one another. We can't let that. We've got to raise the bar because the bar is pretty high. And we, we can't give any provision for the flesh because if we do, if we give an inch, believe me, the flesh will take a mile. It will, and you know this from your own life. I know it from my own life. If I give it an inch, it'll take a mile. If I give it a mile, it'll take three miles. If I give it three miles, it's going to take ten miles. And so on it goes until I'm living a life of complete hedonism and lost in, in my mess, right? But notice what it says in, in Hebrews. is if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. And what son is there whom after a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection? I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Second Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.